Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome again. Great to have all of you here with us this morning, and really great to worship with all of you, and now to continue that worship as we jump into week number two of this series that we just started last Sunday, this Captivated series. And beyond what we're doing on Sunday mornings, it's fun. We're doing a couple other things in addition to that, where in your programs, you'll see this reading plan, this bookmark that we're doing. In addition to the sermons that we're preaching through on Sunday mornings, we're also encouraging people to read through the books that we'll be preaching through uh, along with us over the course of the month that this series lasts. So really encourage you guys to take part in that. They're very manageable sized pieces of reading, just a couple chapters a day at most, a few times a week, and a great way to stay engaged with some of the things we're preaching through and then, and then the books of the Bible that we're preaching through as well for this series. And then in addition to the preaching or, or in this reading plan, uh, we're also doing a hashtag, this captivated series hashtag that... Uh, that is a great way for all of you on Twitter to join in the conversation. So far this last week, I have been carrying on a great conversation with myself for most of that, with, with a few very awesome and notable exceptions. But for those of you that have a Twitter handle, really encourage you to jump into that, either just to watch me talk to myself, because I'll keep doing it, or to, e even better, jump in and take part in, uh, in the conversation that way. But... Uh, really what we're trying to do in this series, th th this captivated series, is, is something that we're probably all pretty familiar with. When we say this word captivated, we all have this picture that comes into our mind of somebody who's captivated by something. We can think of the college football fan who paints his entire body a certain color to cheer on his team, and the guy that's kind of standing up in front of you for the whole game, and whenever there's a good play, kind of has to do like high fives down the whole row. Of the, of the stadium where you guys are seated. That's somebody who's captivated by the football team. They don't talk about, hey, hey the team made a great play. They say, we made a great play. They're, they're drawn into it. They're engaged by it, right? Or two people who are young and in love, or two people who are older and in love, they're captivated with each other. They can't stop thinking about each other and talking about each other and talking to each other. They're just, they're just drawn to each other, and you can tell that they're drawn into to each other by the, way, by, by the way they talk, by the things they talk about. Or my boys, they're captivated by this video game called Minecraft. It's, it's tough talking to them about school. It's kind of like trying to pull one-word answers out of most of them for the most part. Uh, but, but man, get them talking about Minecraft, and you open up this fire hose where they kind of lean forward. They start talking more quickly. Their eyes light up. You have to say, okay, you, you've used your words for today, right? Now let's, now let's go back to talking about school. They're captivated by it. And the thing we want to make the case for in this series is that we should absolutely be captivated by knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, let me go one, one further than just that. We should be captivated by knowing Jesus Christ in deeper in more substantial ways, more significant ways than we're captivated by anything else. So it's good to follow college football. How many, I don't even know how many days it is until the season starts again, but, but that's fine, right? It's good to be in love with, the, with, with these people you're pursuing in, in dating relationships or marriage. It's okay for my boys to like Minecraft, but none of those things should capture them the way that knowing Jesus should captivate all of us. And what's so cool is how this series intersects with what we want to be about as a church. Because as a church, our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. 
And so as we hold Jesus Christ up in front of people, in front of ourselves and in front of of others that don't know him, we want to hold up a picture of Jesus Christ that is absolutely biblically faithful, right? And at the same time is absolutely captivating. Because as we look at, at, at the people who followed Jesus in the New Testament, we can tell they were captivated by him. Knowing Jesus isn't casual, it's not consumeristic, it's not pick and choose which parts of him you want to follow. Knowing Jesus should captivate us in bigger and deeper and more, stanch, in more substantial ways than anything else possibly can. And so, so the way we're doing this series is we're taking the lead from the Apostle Paul. And he's, he's a right guy to go to because he is a dude that was captivated by knowing Jesus Christ. If you know the story of Paul, you'll know that he started out as somebody who was a very violent opponent of Christianity. He was, he, he was involved in some of the early martyrdoms in Acts 7 and 8. We read about the, this guy Stephen being killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. Saul, or Paul, was part of that. We read that he is going around on a manhunt, going from house to house, finding Christians to persecute and to throw in prison. So, so as we get to know Paul, we, we know that he is, start, at least initially, an opponent of Christianity, but then he meets Jesus. And from that moment on, the trajectory of Paul's life takes a 180-degree turn. His whole life is reoriented. He is captivated by knowing Jesus. And then he spends the rest of his life being captivated by Jesus himself and helping others follow Jesus Christ, find and follow him themselves. And so what we're doing in this series is we're asking this question, what was it about Jesus that captivated Paul like nothing else ever could? This is the driving question that's probably going to be a thread throughout each of the sermons in this series because the thing is, as we, as we answer this question for Paul, it's, it's a pretty short jump to seeing application for ourselves. Because one of the truths about Christianity is that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And so the same things that captivated Paul about knowing Jesus are the same things that are still true about knowing Jesus, the same things that should captivate us as we find Jesus and follow Jesus every day for the rest of our lives. And the cool thing is that that, that as we discover that, we discover that that knowing Jesus is actually bigger and better than we often think. You see, uh, well, let me me do it this way. Let let me go to that illustration that I kind of thought of this week. Anybody see the guy in the South that went through a drive-thru chicken place to order some chicken and got something very different than what he thought he was going to get. So there's this guy in Virginia, I think it was, goes to a drive through chicken place, Bojangles is the name of it, you can look it up, and orders some fried chicken or whatever he ordered for, for his chicken. So got this box of chicken from the drive through window, starts driving away, opens up the box, and realizes there's 4,500 bucks worth of cash in this Bojangles chicken box instead of a leg and a thigh, right? Or whatever he wanted. But, but so, so the, the end of the story is eventually this guy gives the, gives the money back. Cool story of integrity from what I could tell. All the, it's cool, cool that way. But for some period of time, this guy here yeah, sitting on his lap or in the seat next to him, this thing that he says, man, I'm hungry for some chicken, right? And, and he, he thinks he knows what he's getting. But then he opens up that box and he realizes what is in that, inside that box 
is so much more valuable, about $4,500 more valuable, right, than the chicken that he ordered. It, 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 was, it was tremendously more valuable than what he was expecting. And I think that's what we can do with Jesus. That, 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 that's why we should be captivated by Jesus. We realize that following him, knowing him, is so much more valuable than anything else. Finding and following Jesus, is, it, it, the, the, this love of Jesus, is bigger and better than we think. And so the place we're going today is Ephesians chapter 3. And that's the right place to go to because here in this passage, in, a, in just a couple verses in Ephesians 3, we'll see that Paul is captivated by knowing Jesus Christ. Specifically, he's captivated by the love of Jesus Christ. That's the topic we're going to be talking about, how we should be captivated and why we should be captivated by the love of Jesus Christ. But before we officially get into Ephesians 3, I want to talk about a hurdle that, that I think can trip us up as we talk about this topic of the love of Christ if we're, if we're not careful. And that hurdle is, is what I like to call casual familiarity with the love of Jesus Christ. Casual familiarity with the love of Jesus Christ will absolutely keep us from appreciating everything Jesus Christ's love offers us and being captivated by, by, by how it should draw us in and in what it should do to us. You see, some of us grew up singing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Great song, right? Important truth. Others of us will have seen people holding up John 3.16 signs at football games or other sports games, people in the stands, or we'll see John 3.16 on the eye black of athletes. And we'll know that John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So this idea of, of Jesus' love for us, it may not be new news to some of us. Maybe a lot of us here this morning. I don't know. But, but, but the dangerous thing is when we become familiar with Jesus' love, we stop soaking in it. It, it stops doing something to us. And the dangerous thing is we, we take this topic that has been the driver of so much rich Christian theology and so many Christian songs that have such great lyrics. We take this thing that is, is, has inspired the faith of so many and we become casual towards it, right? And then eventually we become cold towards it. And it doesn't do anything in us or to us or through us anymore. And that is why I'm so excited to bring us to Ephesians 3, because Ephesians 3 takes this diamond of Jesus' love and it twists it in the light from a few different angles. So it catches light for us again. And we say, love of Jesus, I'm in. I'm captivated by that. That does something to me and in me. That wants to do something through me again, where we're drawn into it in that sort of way. So let's go to Ephesians 3. Verses 17 to 19 is where we're going. And just so you know, this is part of a larger prayer that Paul prays at the end of Ephesians 3. Verses 14 to 21 are, are all awesome and worthwhile. But we're going to take this section of the prayer where Paul really hones in on the love of Jesus and learn everything we can about it. And so, so here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. 
or excuse me, starting in 17, about halfway through verse 17 is where he starts. He says, and I pray that you, being rooted, rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Paul is captivated by the love of Jesus. The the very fact that he's praying that we would know this love of Jesus shows that he's captivated by it, right? Because people pray for the things they tend to be captivated by. So, So Paul is captivated by the love of Jesus that way. But then also the language that he uses. Paul doesn't just say, and I want you to know the love of Jesus. The the way he embellishes on that, the way he describes it, the way he he kind of teases out his request shows that this isn't just some indifferent idea that Paul is kind of some distance from and wanting for his readers. Paul is captured by this himself. But as we go back through through this passage a little more slowly, I want to look at a few dimensions of God's love that especially, I think, captivated Paul from what he says here. And then again, don't forget to make that really easy jump to say, these are the same things that we need to be captivated by ourselves. So right away in verse 17, Paul starts out, he says, I pray that you, you who are rooted and established in love, that you may know how wide and long and high and deep is God's love. So so Paul starts out with, with, with this very rich agricultural language and this very rich architectural language, rooted and established in love. Now, if you talk with anyone who's ever planted something, you'll know that the root system is very important in plants. One of those reasons is because of the, of the solid and secure foundation it gives those plants. They can send down roots into the soil and grow strong and not be uprooted by the, by the first wind that comes by. Or when you're, when you're putting up a building, you know that you spend a lot of time on the foundation so that way, the building rests on a secure foundation. My wife and I have been thinking a lot about this because we're maybe putting up a shed in our backyard if the dominoes fall the right way. And so, so a few weekends ago, we poured a concrete slab that we might set this concrete shed on. But so we didn't just bring in some concrete and pour it on the ground as the ground already was, Right? We did a lot of preparatory work to make sure that when we put the forms down and poured the concrete, everything was ready to go. So we spent a lot of time with, here's here's my man card for the day, the manual post hole diggers digging 15 footings, about 24 inches down, for this concrete slab. My wife helped, so there's her credit. She gets a woman card for that. but so, 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 so so we dug a lot of footings. We spent a lot of time leveling the ground to make sure that the, that the concrete slab doesn't look like this, right? But so the reason we spent so much time on the foundation is because I don't want to walk out the, f- the first week after we put up a shed and see this huge crack that's about a foot and a half wide in the concrete slab, right? We don't want to walk out and see the shed kind of that we built up and down this way tilting this way. That foundation provides a secure base on which now I'm going to feel pretty good if we end up putting a shed in that spot. That foundation provides security. And that's what I think Paul is saying here when he talks about us, believers in Jesus Christ, who are rooted and established in the love of Jesus. 
He says Jesus' love is secure. Jesus' love is not fragile. We're not walking on eggshells. It's not all over the charts inconsistent. No, there is no better or stronger foundation of love than the love of Jesus Christ, the sinless God-man who loved us to the point of his own death in our place. You want solid and trustworthy and assurance? That's the sort of love that we can have in Jesus Christ. I've got a couple friends who, um, who have chosen to be just awesome examples of families. And what they've done is, is they've chosen to adopt, either through the foster care system here in the States or internationally. And in that picture of adoption is such a great picture of this love that we can be rooted and established in ourselves. You see, the, the kids that my friends have adopted, they came from situations that were, that were likely very inconsistent. Kids that come from group homes overseas, you, you don't always know what sort of environment that can offer. There was a lot of uncertainty about the future. Will I ever be adopted? Will anybody love me? Or for kids that were adopted through the foster care system here in the States, there are so many great foster families. But not every foster family is, is as great as some of the others. And so some of these kids that have been adopted through the foster care system have gone through inconsistency and, and even just the transients of going from home to home to home. That's difficult on kids, right? That's not the way things are supposed to be. But these friends that have adopted, they now have, have offered these children that are part of their families a forever family. Where these kids have exchanged the inconsistency and the uncertainty and the transience that maybe they knew in, adopt, in group homes or foster care. And now they know the assurance and the acceptance and the security of being in a home that they know is going to love them and accept them and be there tomorrow and the next day after that and the next day after that on for their entire lives. That's the sort of security that Jesus' love offers us. In fact, being adopted into God's family is, is, is actually the language that Scripture uses when we choose to follow Jesus Christ. It says we're adopted as his sons. Already in this, in this book in Ephesians, in chapter 1, that's language that Paul has used. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says that in love God predestined us, and listen to this, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. That's the sort of security, the sort of acceptance and assurance we have as members of God's family. Guys, if that doesn't captivate us, if that doesn't do something in us, soak in this truth a little bit more about the acceptance that God's love offers. Think about what that means practically for you. It means that the sin you struggled with either 15 years ago or the sin you've been struggling with this last week doesn't have to thwart your relationship with God. Instead, God invites us to approach him boldly with confidence and we can receive grace to help us in time of need. Our sin doesn't have to scare us away from God, but it can invite us because of that love that God offers us to approach him and say, Jesus, I blew it. I need help. 
but we never have to question whether God will take us back because we are rooted and established in love. Or if your life has been turned upside down by job loss or sickness or uncertainty about what next month holds or some really bad decisions people in your immediate family or your extended family are making, you never have to question whether Jesus' love is strong enough for you to depend on. It is. Because we're adopted into God's family, his love for us is assured. It is a strong foundation on which we can depend no matter the circumstances around us. So Jesus' love is secure. It's also big. Like really big. Unfathomably, incomprehensibly big. That's how big it is. The sense we get from the passage we saw in Ephesians 3, it shows us that even Paul is, is grasping at words to try to really describe how big the love of God is. He's straining the ceiling of the constraints of human language, right? To say, I, I can't really describe it. So, so, so look at what he says in verse 18. He says, I, I want you to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So, so think of the highest point you know or the longest stretch expanse you know. Take that and then blow it out further. That's how big God's love for you is. There's not one word that can really say that. Or, or, or look at what he says in verse 19. He says, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? What, what, what Paul is doing is, 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 again, just you feel that he's kind of pushing against this, this small box of language can be so difficult to, to communicate something that is expansive and big and great as God's love for us is. And when you think about it, how do you talk about a love where the Son of God in heaven willingly leaves that luxury for us to come down to earth where things often aren't the way they're supposed to be, to die a horrendous death for sinners who don't deserve it, and then to offer them, because of that death, a gift also that they don't deserve, that brings them peace with God and life the way it was supposed to be lived. How do you talk about love that does that? There's no one word that does it, right? And so what Paul is doing here is he's inviting us simply in this language that he's using to experience and to immerse ourselves into the depths of God's love. We may never ever, ever be able to fully grasp it, but we can spend an eternity trying to and realizing there's always parts of God's love that are awesome and great. There's nothing casual about it. So, so, so in that sense, God's love, it's not one of those blue kiddie pools that you put out in your back. We had one until a few years ago at our place. You know those little blue circle kiddie pools that are about six or eight inches deep? When our kids were small, yeah, pretty refreshing on a hot day. Put in the hose, they can splash around a little bit. Great. But, but pretty soon, they outgrew it. That is not what God's love is like. God's love is instead more like the deepest part of the ocean. I looked on Google, and so there's my research citation. Um, 
The deepest part of the ocean is the Challenger Deep near the Philippines and near Guam. It is seven miles of ocean straight down. Just a, just a few, small handful of expeditions that have made it to the bottom. This is actually a picture of the Challenger Deep, the bottom. <laughs> Not really. Okay. Um, had to get that in there. But, 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 but the Challenger Deep is so big that no one person can fully explore every nook and cranny of all of it, right? It's just too big. There's no way they can do it without help because once you start sinking deep enough, the pressure just be becomes more than our human body can tolerate. But those sort of constraints and the expanse of God's love, it doesn't keep people from trying to learn everything they can about it. They immerse themselves in it. They experience as much of it as they can. And that's what God's word is like. Or that's, that's, what, that's what Jesus' love is like. Yeah, no one person can ever, can, can ever fully exhaust all of what God's love offers us. But what Paul is doing here in Ephesians 3 is he's inviting us to experience it and immerse ourselves in it in every way that we can. And then the cool part is that we'll continue to learn new things about God's love ourselves. And then as we exist in community with God's church, we'll continue to experience more and more about God's love every day from now through eternity. That's how big God's love for us is. John Stott has this great quote that captures some of what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 3. He says, The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most desperate, degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. That's the love that Jesus offers every one of us here this morning, right now. That love isn't conditioned upon when you get your act together, or, okay, okay you got five months of parole first. No, no. God's love is offered to us, extended to us now. That's how big his love is. Last thing I want us to see in Ephesians chapter 3 is that Jesus' love should change us. Jesus' love should change us. And this is how our passage ends. So Paul talks about, about how secure God's love is. He talks about how big God's love is. And then he includes a purpose statement. God's love is secure and God's love is big so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See, God's love isn't just a security blanket. God's love wants to energize change in us and through us. You know, in my opinion, this is probably the most counterintuitive of the points I'm making this morning. Because in our culture, when we hear the word love, we reduce that only to acceptance. Right? If you love somebody, you accept them. And just so I'm very clear, God's love does accept us. We just looked at that, right? With how secure God's love is, how big it is. God's love accepts us no matter what we've done. And if we stop there, though, we're missing some of the bigness of God's love, some of the hugeness, because God's love is big enough to accept us and is big enough to change us. 
God's love is big enough to take us however we are, and it's big enough to change us into the people that he wants us to be. We have to include both of those things to start to tap into the expansiveness of how great and good and captivating God's love is. And for this point, for God's love to change us, if you grew up in a healthy family, you kind of know what this looks like. Because you, you know the security and assurance that being in a strong, healthy family offers. Where you can go to your parents or your brothers or sisters or your aunts or uncles and share whatever's on your mind. And you know they're not going to jump on you. You know they're not going to come to quick conclusions. You know they're going to listen to you. You know they're going to love you. Even if they aren't happy about everything you're doing, you know they're still going to love you in that secure family environment. But you also know that your parents parented you in a certain direction. You know that when you were on a, a, a wrong or a bad path that was destructive for yourself or for others around you, your parents would discipline you out of their love for you. They wouldn't let you stay on that same path. You know that your parents instructed you to live a certain way, valuing certain things and, and teaching you that other things will be harmful to you and to others around you. And the thing is, all of this is an expression of your parents' love for you and your family's love for you. Not just the unconditional acceptance, but also the discipline, the instruction, the teaching, the parenting. All of those are manifestations of love. Because when, when my kids are doing things that will destroy themselves or others around them, it is negligence for me as a parent not to step in and, and gently or sometimes with, with more firmness point them a different direction to try to effect change, not because I don't love my kids, but because I love them that I'm stepping in to try to point them in a direction that will be healthy and right and good for them and for those around them. So the love of Jesus should change us. It accepts us and it changes us. But let's go back to, to those verses. What does it mean to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? What sort of change does Jesus want to effect in us? Now certainly some of that is, is just for us to take on and to reflect God's moral character. For us to look like Jesus is what that's talking about. Over the course of our lifetimes, we progressively grow with all the ups and downs that can be part of that towards men and women who look a little bit more like Jesus this year than I did last year. Hopefully this decade, if somebody encountered me and they knew me 10 years ago, they'd say, Tim, you're a little more Christ-like than you were 10 years ago. That's the sort of change Jesus' love wants to affect in us where, where his priorities become our priorities. His character becomes our character. His mission becomes ours. But then in a few places in Scripture, we see very, very, very clearly these connections between Jesus' love for us and what that should do in us and through us. So the Apostle John, in another letter in the New Testament, in 1 John, John says that we love because God first loved us. So a very clear connection there, right? The love of Jesus should be making us more loving people. 
So, so that's when the questions start to get convicting. Am I growing in love for others, even others that can be difficult to love? Or as I get older, am I getting more harsh, less patient, less joyful, less loving? That's not what the love of Jesus wants to do in me. Because Jesus loved us, we're called to love others in the same way we've been loved, in costly, sacrificial ways. Or in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's the Apostle Paul again. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Compels us to do what? Mission. (laughs) Just a few verses down in that same chapter, Paul continues his thought. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We represent Christ to others around us. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you. On Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what Paul is saying here is that because we've been shown the greatest love imaginable, greater than anything we can ask or imagine, we should be very quick to show that sort of love to others, including sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for us, making us right with God through him, sharing that good news, that gospel with others. So let's land on some application. Three questions I encourage you to write down and be thinking through, certainly today and this next week, but then even on beyond that as well. First question, do I know what Jesus' love offers me? For some of you, this this might be new news this morning. Everything that Jesus' love offers you right now. But then there's a really important second half to that question. And what am I doing about it? You see, this morning we've seen that Jesus' love isn't just some empty phrase that doesn't carry a whole lot of meaning, right? Jesus' love talks about the Son of God coming down from heaven to earth to die for undeserving sinners so we might know God. That's a huge statement. I said it quickly, but there's a lot there. That's dense. That's rich, right? We can know God. Sinners like me, like us, We can have life, life that starts now, life with God that changes my values and my reactions now, and life that carries on past death into eternity moving forward. That's what Jesus' love offers all of us. There's nothing casual about that. That's captivating. But then we need to do something about that. To use the language that scripture uses, we respond to this love in repentance and faith. Repentance is just the language that scripture uses to talk about. We we turn from those things that we've been building our lives on. Whatever sort of foundation we've been building our lives and our dreams and our values on, the foundation that we know has cracks in it, we've been trying to cock it and push things back together and, and all that sort of stuff, but we know this foundation can't hold everything we wanted to hold. Repentance means we exchange what we're trusting in for security and love and salvation from that foundation to the inestimably strong foundation of the love we have been shown in Jesus Christ. So we turn and we rest on that. We place our faith in it. We trust that that foundation is strong enough to hold everything that I needed to hold, everything God wants it to hold 
important question. Do I know what Jesus' love offers me and what am I doing about it? Second question, what is Jesus' love doing in me? What is Jesus' love doing in me? Where we can't stiff arm Jesus' love. It's not, it's not something we hold at arm's length. Where we're kind of familiar with it, but we don't experience it. It should be doing something in us and to us. We've seen this morning that it should, that it should provide tremendous comfort and assurance. It can provide hope in the midst of struggles with sin that keeps us coming back to the right response to sin, Jesus Christ, instead of running further into sin. Jesus' love offers us the, 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 the dependability, knowing that whatever uncertainties of life that we're in the middle of, whatever questions we have that we just aren't getting answers to, Jesus' love is secure enough to hold us in the midst of that. Jesus' love is big enough to, to deserve our worship and our gratitude. These are all things Jesus' love should be doing in us. And then the last question is what does Jesus' love, or, or what can Jesus' love do through me? Jesus' love isn't just about warm fuzzies and elevated thoughts while you're sitting on your couch looking into the middle distance, right? No. Jesus' love should engage us in mission. Because if you look at how Paul responded to being captivated by Jesus' love, he didn't just sit in a hut and write letters and think great thoughts about Jesus' love. He probably did some of that. But he got on mission, right? Christ's love compelled him to travel thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of miles in a time where they didn't have very easy travel to tell others about the love of Jesus. So who are we, who are we living with next door or across the street or at work or on our extended family or our immediate family that, that God can use us to be, to be ambassadors, right? To be vehicles of his love where his love works through us to show his love and share the gospel with others. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer this morning is just simply to echo Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 where, God, I ask that you, your, the, the, your church here at Brookside, may we be rooted and established in love. May we know the security that it offers all of us, Jesus. And may we have power together with, with all of your saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep your love is for us. God, help us to be blown away by the expansiveness of your love and to respond to that in worship and gratitude. And then, Father, may we know this love that surpasses knowledge so that we can be changed people that mirror and reflect you, Jesus, your priorities and your heart. May we be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your love that we are undeserving of, but grateful for. It's in your name we pray. Amen.